Amen. So thanks for being here this morning. And uh, I know you had a choice to come or not come. And I thank you for being here this morning. And uh, I'm going to pray that the Lord makes it worth your time, that he's going to give a message that will make it worth your time that you were here. Um, not by anything that um, certainly I would say, but clearly what the Holy Spirit will speak in your heart because he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he does speak through us. We are intended to be his conduits, by the way. We're intended to be his conduits, not his interpreter. We were supposed to. We're supposed to give, the, give God's word directly as it comes out of God's word. And uh, just like Jesus said, I can speak only what my Father speaks to me. Therefore, that's my plan. I shouldn't speak it the way I see it. I should speak it the way God speaks it. And so that's what we try to do here in our church, is speak God's word directly. So this morning, I want to finish up, finally, I want to finish up the, the series that we've been speaking on the last few weeks on what Paul intended for us in the area of what it means to know Jesus. Paul said it. He said, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. Paul, almost throughout the, through the end of his ministry period, has a revelation to say, I want to know Christ. And here Paul, all this time, was talking about Christ. But yet, I think Paul like us, should have a continuous revelation that there is more to Christ. There is more that I can glean out of my relationship with the Savior because I make Him my Lord. And so this morning we're going to speak about the last topic here, and this is, I want to know Christ by being heavenly-minded. By being heavenly-minded. We have to focus our eyes outside of our own life, our own, outside of our own sphere of influence into an eternal mindset. And when we get into that eternal mindset, that is one more area that we can know Christ in. So I know that you might think like, well, Mike, we talk about this a lot because our mission statement is to be heavenly effective through earthly relevance. So therefore, and I have spoken about heaven a lot, and I have spoken about what it means to be heavenly effective but we're going to talk about it again because there's a little twist different here that the Lord's shown me this week. And this, so it's, that's what is so amazing about God's Word. You can read one passage over and over again and see so many facets of it. It's like a diamond. It's like a diamond cut. And every time you look at a diamond, you get a different reflection of that same diamond, but a different reflection of light coming off that diamond because of all the faces, the way that diamond is cut. Same diamond, same truth. But God reveals something new in it. So I, I'm, I'm believing and I'm trusting that through this that you will see that same revelation. But clearly, one, can't be if, they, one cannot be effective, like our mission statement says, to be if heavenly effective. One can't be effective if our minds and if our efforts aren't centered on whatever it is we're to be effective in. <laughs> you can't be effective in something if you just look at it half-heartedly. If you look at it once in a while and ignore it for the rest of the time, then you can't be effective in it. So if we're going to be heavenly effective, we have to be heavenly minded. And our mindset has to be continually on heaven and what that means. So we're going to talk today about what it means and how do we do this. How do we talk about the new things that God has for us when we're so familiar with sometimes the old things? So we're going to dig into this a little bit more. We're going to go back to our text that we started a few weeks ago, and this is the text we get this information out of, and then we're going to go to many other scriptures. But Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14, Paul says, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of it in me. Brothers and sisters, 
I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I want to focus this morning on the past and the part that Paul says, I'm straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let's just pause for a minute. Let's just pray. And let's let the Lord just sink us into what the Holy Spirit would have to say. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for what you mean to us. I thank you, Lord, that every word that you inspired men to write are for us, is for me, is for every one of us this morning as we sit in this place. So, God, I pray that we would glean your word, that we would glean the truths and the nourishment that would come out of your word today. And I pray, Father, that you would just clear our minds from anything that would be distracting and that we would see Jesus in this. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul has taken a stance here. Remember, we've already been through four other areas of what it means to know Christ. And uh, we are now at the last one, and I will wrap it all up at the end for those that weren't here to spare you from me having to review again. Uh, we'll wrap it up in the end, I hope. But Paul is, now that we've successfully gotten this far in life, now that we've su successfully forgotten the things that we were supposed to forget about, the good and the bad things, like we talked about last week, and now that we are in a position here of moving forward, Paul is saying, once that that's established, we are to be heavenly minded, and we are to be focused on things above. So what does that really mean? What does it mean to be heavenly minded? Well, I want to, first of all, I want to go to some other scriptures. And I want you to know that we spend a lot of time in scriptures here because scriptures have to support scriptures and they never counteract themselves. So let's talk about a couple other areas here in scripture that talks to us about what it means to be heavenly minded. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ, Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Pretty obvious instruction by Paul that we are to keep our mind on the things above, not just on the things we touch, feel, and all of our senses here on earth. We are to put our minds on heavenly things. Pretty obvious passage. Hebrews chapter 1, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling... Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your thoughts on Christ, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. So we're to fix our minds. We're to take our thoughts. We're to bring our, our imaginations under control, and we're to fix our minds on Christ. Why do you suppose that's so important? Why do you suppose it's so important that we fix our minds on Christ? Well, I'm not sure about you, but what happens to me is that where my thoughts are, so goes my passions and my desires and my efforts and my actions and my time. And, at, and eventually, that's where I end up. Where I'm thinking is typically where I'm splitting all of my human abilities is in my thought process. And if I allow myself to drift aimlessly along whatever path my mind would take me, 
Where am I going to end up? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea where I'm going to end up if I just allow my thoughts to take me. So therefore, I have to take control of my thoughts, and I have to fix my mind. I have to fix my thoughts on Christ. If I'm going to be Christ-like, I have to think Christ-like. Like the old saying is, you are what you eat. Well, it's the same in our mind. You become what you think. As you allow your mind to think th certain things through, you, be, you will become that eventually. So if I want to be like Christ, if I want to be Christ-like, then I need to fix my thoughts on what Christ is like so that I can be Christ-like. I have to fix my mind on what Christ is like so that I can be Christ-like. If I'm allowing my mind to drift to whatever my natural passions would take me, then how from that am I going to get to Christ? Because my natural passions, my natural desires, my human flesh, my human tendency is not going to go where Christ is. Because Christ walked a life of suffering like we talked about a few weeks ago. He walked a life of discipline like we talked about a few weeks ago. He walked a, he walked a, a, a life of never being satisfied with this earthly life like we talked a few weeks ago. So if I'm going to be like Christ then I need to focus my thoughts on the things that Christ thinks about. So we need to understand this. We need to know where that's going. Paul talked about us being a disciplined Christian as one of the primary elements of knowing Christ. And if I'm going to know Christ, then I need to deliberately set my thoughts, deliberately focus my ambitions and my desires and my spare time and my daydreaming and all the things I need to focus my mind on Christ and I'll not allow this flesh man to drift in and, and out of godly consciousness. I, I need to focus myself. Scripture is also very clear about our treasures and where we lay our treasures up and how that affects our mind. Now I don't know, I know we don't typically use the word treasure a lot. When was the last time you talked about your treasures? What's another word for treasures? Somebody give me a word. Let's talk. Let's make this a little bit. I want to make sure you're awake. What's another word for treasures? Say it again. Valuables. Wealth. What else? Possessions. Your assets for those that are in the economic world. Things that mean a lot to you. Right. The things that you treasure that mean a lot to you your possessions, all of these things. These, these are very important things to rec recognize what they are in your life because where you place them is where you're going to go. Where you place your treasures, you will follow your treasures. Wherever they are, you will follow your treasures. If they're important to you, you're not going to walk away from them, are you? You're going to follow your treasure. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, it says this about treasures. Do not store up for yourself treasures or possessions, wealth, whatever's important to you, your assets. Do not store up those things on earth where moths and rust or vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves the treasures that you have. Put them in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Can you relate to this? Do you, can you see in your mind, in your life, the things that are important to you and how you follow those things, how you chase after those areas, how you put all the extra effort that you have into the things that you want to do? 
I certainly can. And, and, you know, and I have to guard my heart against those things because I can make sometimes those things such a passion for me that they can become too, en- too engaging for me. I can get too tied up into some things and become very distracted. So I've got to be careful, first of all, what my treasure is, and then secondly, where is it? Let me ask you a few questions right now. This is a good time for a little gut check. It's always important that we have these opportunities to check yourself privately. But let me ask you a few questions this morning about heaven and where your treasures are. How important is it to you? How important is it to you to think about heaven? How often do you think about heaven? Seriously, just ask this to yourself and answer the question in your mind. When you think long-term, how long is long-term for you? If you want to make a long-term plan, if you want to make a retirement plan, is it one year, is it two years, is it 10 years, is it 30 years? Or is it eternity? We spend a lot of time working on our financial plan for our retirement. And that's good. Nothing wrong with that. Very important to do that. But is that where it stops? What happens when you take your last breath? Have you thought about that? How often do you think about heaven? And when you think, when you hear the term heavenly things, what does it mean to you? Does it bring a level of excitement to you? Or is it something that is, well, boring? (laughs) I'm not going to go there now. I'm too young. I've got too much life to live. I'm not going to waste my time thinking about heaven. I've got too much life to live right here and right now. Seriously, what, what, is this, what does this mean to you? Because until you can understand what it means to you, we might as well not even talk the rest of the sermon. Because like anything else in life, if there is a change to be made, there has to be a process of a crisis point to, to, to think, to say, what I thought before or what I thought previous needs to change. So if this morning, if, if you would look at it and say, you know, I've never really thought about heaven too much. It really isn't that important to me. Well, what do you think about that? Where do we go with that? I would encourage you to dig deep in your heart and, say, and, and make some really um, a good time of analysis and think, man, where am I really going then? If I'm not thinking about heaven or hell, where am I going? If you're not anticipating what heaven is like and what it really means for you, doesn't it give you a little caution in your life? It would me, and I would encourage you to, to look at it that way. And I'm not saying in any way, shape, or form that you are to be fatalistic or that you, are to be, that you are to be anxious to check out of this world. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that we should you know, be calling Dr. Kevorkian. Anybody remember who Dr. Kevorkian is? I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying, no, we're to cherish life, and we're to honor life, and we're to live a long life, and we're to honor our mothers and our fathers so that we have long life, and we're to do all that. I'm just asking us to think about when we do think about heaven, what does it bring to us? What kind of a, what, what's the set, mindset that it brings? Paul gives us some good insight of what our lives should be like when it comes to living life in the good and the bad and how it relates to our heavenly aspirations. Let's, let's read 1 Peter chapter 1. 
beginning at verse 3. Peter says this. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen. And then he says, verse 4, And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance, we all know what an inheritance is, right? It's a gift given to you from someone that passes down to you. It's a gift. An inheritance is not an obligation. Your parents are not obligated to give you an inheritance, just so you know that, children. They can spend it all, they can spend it all on themselves in this life, and that's okay. An inheritance is not something that is required or expected. An inheritance is a gift. This inheritance, this gift, is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice. So now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. But yet our inheritance is safe. Our inheritance, our inheritance, our, uh, the gift of life, is preserved for us no matter what trial I'm going through in life. Understand that. That is so important that Jesus is protecting your inheritance no matter what happens to you in life here. There is no short, um, there's going to be no shortfall of God's inheritance. It's not, it's not like the social security system that's going to run out by the time you need it. No, your inheritance is in heaven and it's guarded for you, and you will never lose it. That's the amazing promise of God's Word. Therefore, verse 13 says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. What's the mindset Peter's talking about? Minds that are alert and fully sober, meaning minds that are alert, which is awake and watchful, Fully sober, meaning clear-minded, without any influence of outside distractions, without any, without any influence of outside sources, but you're alert and you're sober. A mindset that is able to make a solid and educated decision with the conviction of, of the difference between right and wrong. That you are making a decision, that you have a choice to make, and that your mind is clear, you're alert, you're awake, you're watchful, you're intelligent, you're educated, and you're sober in mind to make a good decision. To be heavenly minded is not a mindset of living in fear. It is not a mindset of, I'm going to be giving up so much on earth when I go to heaven. No, that's not the heavenly mindset Peter's talking about. He wants a mindset that is so established that our, in our desire is that our desire is not here on earth anymore where things are fading away, are in a state of deterioration, as we talked about in Sunday school today. I love it when Sunday school matches up with, with sermons. It's awesome because that just shows God's working and God's moving. And what Janine led us in Sunday school today was so right on for today's service. And that is that we have a mindset of eternal things, meaning that we're not focusing on the things on this earth that are in a deterioration state. But our mind is on earthly or heavenly things, eternal things, where it's always increasing. It's getting bigger. Our universe is continuing to expand. It's still expanding, so the scientists say. That's because God is always increasing. My inheritance in heaven is always increasing. Yet what I see, touch, feel on this earth is already in a state of decline, and it's dying. So where's my treasure? My treasure's in where, the place where it's increasing. I'm not keeping it here. I'm not keeping it here. 
something we need to talk about when it comes to putting treasures away, and that is the timing of things. There's a thing called immediate gratification and a thing called delayed gratification. Let me just talk about that for a few minutes here because that helps us understand how we are to go about laying our treasures up, talking about is, am I in the mode set of needing immediate satisfaction or immediate gratification, or can I delay something? Can I delay it? Delayed gratification is defined this way. Delayed gratification is the ability to resist the temptation for an immediate reward and wait for a later reward. Generally, delayed gratification is associated with resisting a smaller but more immediate reward in order to receive a larger and or more enduring reward later. Does that make sense? So why then can some delay gratification while others give in? Why, can, why are some able to um, accept delayed gratification more than others? Well, there was a study done by the Brain and Spine Institute in Paris, and I did a little research on this, and they determined some interesting things about immediate and delayed gratification. The researchers noted, this is for their study, the researchers noted that one factor that helps explain the difference in people's ability to resist temptation lies in the activity of a deep brain structure called the hippocampus. Everybody heard of the hippocampus? However, these paradigms, all the things that they've studied about this miss an essential feature of the intertemporal conflicts we have to face in everyday life. Noted study leader Matthias Pasoloni, the doctor, PhD, immediately he says this, immediate rewards can be perceived through our senses, whereas future rewards must be represented in our imagination. Think about that. Immediate rewards are perceived through our senses. What I touch, taste, feel, smell, see. Immediate senses. Immediate rewards are perceived through our senses, whereas our future rewards must be represented in our imagination or in our mind. The hippocampus is necessary for imagining future situations with a richness of detail so that it makes them attractive enough to delay gratification. So that our minds have to give us such an overview of what heaven is. That heaven is more than I can ever begin to imagine here on earth. And it's worth it to delay an immediate gratification to a more lasting and greater realization of what heaven is. That's why the mind is so important here. Because otherwise, if we don't think that way, our minds are like a dog's mind or an animal's mind. That's what makes us different than an animal. An animal doesn't know how to delay gratification. A horse, I was talking to Scott Hankins, and he said a horse will eat itself to death. Standing right there will just eat itself to death until it belows itself because it doesn't understand the concept of delayed gratification. We as people are designed in God's image. We are given the ability to understand what God understands when it comes to immediate and delayed gratification. And it's important that we understand that he has created something within a man, something within you and I that can only be filled by him. It doesn't matter how much I try to fulfill this in my own self, how hard I run after the things of this world, the things that I can touch, sense, feel, my immediate satisfaction 
mode, whatever that is, it will never, ever fill that space within me that God has designed for himself because that requires delayed gratification. It requires something different than what an animal can do. That delayed gratification is important. It's important in many areas of life. It's important um, for those that are struggling with many areas. It's important for our relationships with boys and girls, boyfriend and girlfriends. It's important with our premarital relationships. It's important in, in lots of other areas. It's important that I'm willing to delay gratification to get a big paycheck because I'm going to go to college first and get a good education or whatever the process is. It's important that we understand that we have to learn the process of disciplining ourselves. Basically, our touch and our taste and our feel and our smell and our hearing senses, when they overrule the power of the mind that brings the imagination of what the delayed gratification is for, basically what that means is we're living by our situations. We're living more through our circumstances than living through the power of God. Because the power of God is not something that we see. He's invisible. I don't see God. I don't see Jesus. I don't see the Holy Spirit. But I believe, and that we believe that God is who he is. And when I allow that belief structure to become reality in my heart, and my mind, my hippocampus of my mind is creating the imagination of who God is as greater now for what he is and what I can gain now on my own. And otherwise, when I'm, if I allow myself to live any other way, I'm living by my feelings. I'm living by the seat of my pants. And we all know what that's like, don't we? We all know the roller coaster of life when I'm living my life by my feelings. Here's a question. Can I be overly concerned with my physical conditions, so overly concerned that I miss what the Holy Spirit is trying to teach me about eternal rewards that are promised if I would persevere? Can I be so overwhelmed? Can I be so infatuated with life? Do you think you can be? I, don't, I think I can be. I, I'll be honest. I don't, I don't know about you, but I think that I can be. I can be overly... And I can be overstimulated with the things of life that make it so good. I miss what the Holy Spirit's trying to do. Perseverance is required. We must persevere in this area. Hebrews chapter 10, 35 tells us, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Verse 36, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. We need to, verify, we need to vitally understand the significance of setting our minds on godly things. Setting our minds on heavenly things. Setting our minds on things that, that will never fade or spoil or be wasted. But here's something that I think we struggle with on a day-to-day -day basis. Some would say this, but Mike, I want it both. I want both immediate satisfaction and I want delayed gratification. I want it both. Can we have it both ways? Can we have it both ways? Let's talk about this because this is where most of us are living right now. Most of us are living in the sense I've won both ways. I want to be satisfied today, don't we? I want to be satisfied today, and I want to be satisfied later. I want it both. Can we live that way? Well, it all depends what we're speaking about. If we want to live a life of worldly pleasures without regard to God or living according to his holy standard, then the answer is no. You cannot have it both ways. 
If you're wanting to live your life the way you want to live your life, irregardless of God's word, if you want to live your life chasing all the pleasures of this world, getting all you can for yourself, attaining everything you can, chasing the American dream with total irregardlessness to godly work, to godly living, then let me tell you right now, the answer is no. You cannot have it both ways. Isn't it important that we speak truth to each other? It's so important that we, that we don't say things that the masses want to hear. And this is where um, many, many, many people miss the truth of God's word. And rather than just saying it for what it is, they will do whatever they can to twist and to change God's word into saying something it doesn't. If, any, if what I'm doing today in order to bring self-gratification to me, if anything of it is opposed to God's word in any way through selfish ambition, through greed, worldly pleasures, sexual perversion, drunkenness, or putting anything, including my hobbies, my work, my family, anything before God, I'm making an idol before God. If any of that's happening, if I'm seeking and pursuing immediate gratification over the pursuit of living a persevering, godly-centered life, the answer is no. You cannot have it both ways. Now, what I've just said seems like it's impossible to live under. What I've just said seems like that's an impossible lifestyle, Mike. You have just set me to fail because there's no way that I can live this life. Well, again, I'm only being a conduit of God's word. But if God's word says you can, then you can. No, don't let man, don't let anybody twist God's word to say that you can't live a holy and righteous life delaying the gratification of the worldly pleasures of today to live a life of godliness in the future. Like we said last week, you will never attain in the future what you're not willing to work for today. You will have never attained anything in the future that you're not willing to work for today. So don't think that you're going to get heavenly rewards if you're living a worldly life today. Don't think that you're going to get this if you're living that. The only way you're going to get this is to live this. That's what God's Word says. And I'm going to get into the good news here in a minute that you're going to like. But first, I have to say this, because this is the world that we live in. This is the generation that we live in. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. It says this. Paul talks to Timothy, his last writings before he's martyred. But mark this. When he says, but mark this, pay attention. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of people, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Paul says, have nothing to do with such people. These people, according to verse 7, are always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, before you throw this passage of Scripture out, understand who Paul's talking about. He's talking about many of the people that are sitting in churches today. This is not talking about the world. 
This is talking about people that are professing to be Christians. He says that they have a form of godliness, but deny its power. And these are people that are always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. I know. Hard. But this is God's word. This is what we speak about so we know then how to live a life that is going to be pleasing to the Lord. Matthew chapter 6, 24, it says this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So don't even try to justify an answer that would allow one to think that God would, that God would accept a worldly compromise. God is not into compromising with the world at all. He has defeated the world. And we can defeat the world as we live our lives as well. So the question is, let me ask it again, can we have it both ways? Can we have both immediate and delayed gratification at the same time? In that definition, no. But let me give you the definition that you can. Because there is an opportunity to have both. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about what it means to be content and discontent, discontent when it comes to living our lives. Do you remember that conversation? What are we supposed to be content in and what are we supposed to be dissatisfied in? We're supposed to be content in our worldly living and dissatisfied or discontented in our spiritual living so that we're always seeking more of God, so that we're always on a path of saying, Jesus, I want more of you. You, I'll become less, you become more. I'm content, God, with the blessings you give me. Thank you so much for blessing me the way you have. Thank you so much for my, providing for my needs. I'm blessed, I'm thankful, I'm contented in what you've given me for this physical world. But God, I am so hungry and so thirsty for more of your spiritual world. I'm to be contented in the worldly things and spiritually hungry and dissatisfied with my spiritual life. When I can get that into my life, when I can make that my focal point, now I'm getting to the point where I can have both immediate satisfaction and delayed satisfaction at the same time. When I can get to the point where I can really look at Matthew 6.33 and make it a prayer of mine where it says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. When I can make that my mindset, when I can be so on fire for Jesus, when I can be so focused on Christ as we've been instructed to, that now I'm saying, God, I seek you first. I seek you and all your righteousness first, not second, not after my checkbook, not after my job, not after my hobbies. No, I make that first in my life, and I want to seek you and all of your righteousness. Then the word says, and all these things will be given to you. A happy marriage will be given to you. A prosperous life will be given to you. Life that will be fulfilling in this world. You can have it both ways. You can have it both ways if you're seeking Christ first. If that is your lifestyle, if that is your desire, if that is your focus, then you can have both immediate gratification and long-term delayed gratification because you're seeking the right things. I love that. I love that. That gives me so much happiness. That gives me so much joy. That gives me the purpose for living in my life, knowing that I can have it both ways because I am serving God with everything that I have. It's enjoying life and all the pleasures that God would kind of give me because I know, 
Because I know that as I truly gratify myself today in the Lord, that he is preparing such a ginormous, I mean bigger than you can even begin to imagine, mansion for me. And a reward for me that's going to be so awesome that's going to just blow earth away. Because I know that as I am focusing on him today in my earthly things, that he is preparing that for me for my eternal things. Therefore, I am immediately satisfied. And I am gratified in my life today. Because I know that I'm serving God who is preparing a better thing for me in the future. My hippocampus is on fire, man. My hippocampus in my brain is allowing me to imagine all the things of God, all the heavenly things that are so much better than what I could ever attain to on earth anyways. Why would I want to sacrifice that? Why would I want to even think about the things of the world when my hippocampus is saying, Mike, God has something amazing for you. Your reward is amazing. So keep living your life for Jesus. Keep living it for all you got here while you got it, while you have the opportunity it's awesome. There's nothing here that we're, we're never losing. This is a win-win, folks. This is a win-win above all win-wins because I am getting everything. And here's the nice thing about it. When I live for Jesus here, when I'm not willing to compromise with the world here, I have no guilt. I have no resentment. I have no regrets. I may have enemies because the world's not going to like me, but that's okay. I can deal with that because I know Jesus loves me. Therefore, I don't worry about that. But I have no personal regrets. I have nothing holding me back. I have no hindrances here because my mind is focused on Christ. And I'm so set, my mind is on Him so much that what happens down here doesn't really phase me anymore. Now, that doesn't mean I don't want a nice house. It doesn't mean I don't want a nice car. It doesn't mean I don't need nice clothes. That's fine. Remember, that's part of all the stuff that Jesus says, I'll give to you if you focus on me first. But if you focus on these things down here first, then you're going to miss it both ways. Jackie, would you come and help me wind this up as we finish up this series? See, here's the thing that's interesting and some encouragement for you. Because maybe you're doing everything right. Maybe you really are doing everything right. And you're still struggling in this area of immediate gratification. And even though your eyes are fixed on Jesus, even though you're doing the best you can, that you still are having this problem, this, you're not really being gratified like you think you should be on earth. Well, if that's the case for you today, understand you're in good company because a lot of people are feeling that. Not only a lot of people today, but there was a lot of people in the Bible times that were feeling that way. Hebrews chapter 11 is the faith chapter. It is the chapter that talks about the faith of all the heroes of the Bible and how the writer of Hebrews deals with it. Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse 13. All these people, all these people, go back and read the previous verses in chapter, thir- in chapter 11. They were the Noahs and the Moseses and the Abrahams and all the other people in the, in the past. All these people were still living by faith when they died. Hear me. They were living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. 
All these people that he's talking about never saw the fulfillment of the promises that God gave them. Abraham was promised to be the father of many nations. He didn't see it. But yet, God came through in his promises. Abraham died in faith. You and I, maybe you're not going to see all the promises that God has given you. But that doesn't mean you stop. It doesn't mean you give up. It doesn't mean that God's not going to come through for you. Now or later. That's a beautiful piece of assurance for us today. That is such a, a, a wonderful place to be. Because if when I keep my eyes focused on that city, when I keep my eyes focused on heaven, and I make that my eternal goal, then when I do have the temptations of the world come against me, I'm not tempted nearly as much when I know what God has in store for me. Therefore, like this passage says, people who saw such things or say such things, they are looking for a country of, uh, of their own. If they had been thinking of this world or of a country that they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. So if I'm walking the Christian life, always looking backwards, thinking about what I'm giving up, what I'm giving up by being a Christian, then as soon as the devil comes and tempts me with that drink or that cheating on that income tax or whatever that sin is, that lustfully look at that other woman, whatever it is, whatever, whatever I'm, I'm thinking I'm giving up, as long as I'm thinking about that, I'm, such, I'm so much easier to entice to go back to it. I go, it draws me back. Whereas if I keep my eyes focused on Christ, and I'm saying, God, it's behind me. My eyes are on Jesus. I'm walking in Jesus. And I, that temptation comes, I just put it back. I don't listen to it. I ignore it. I put it away. I say, it's Satan. I don't deal with it. I ignore him. Because my eyes are focused on a place where I can't see right now. I can't see heaven. But I know that's my goal. I know that's where I'm going. I know that's my home. When I do that, that's peace. It's gratifi- that, that's immediate gratification beyond whatever temporary gratification sex or alcohol or money is going to give me here. Like we talked about in Sunday school, the first time I buy a piece of new technology, within a few weeks, it's outdated anyways. It's, I'm never going to have enough if I'm always seeking for today. So where is your treasure this morning? Is your treasure in heaven where every day you walk, you're getting closer to your treasure? Or is your treasure on earth where every day you walk, you're getting further away from your treasure? As we finish up this series on knowing Christ, can you say that you know him better today by knowing and experiencing the fact that you are walking with Christ in his suffering, that you are dissatisfied in your spiritual life, always longing for more hunger of God and contented with the worldly things, that you're disciplined and like Paul, you're, you're beating your body, you're making sure your flesh man is not going to rise above your spiritual man, but your spiritual man is being fed and he will win the race. And that we're being forgetful from our good things and the bad things that we need to forget about like we talked about last week. And then today, we're setting our minds on Christ and Him alone. And with that, now I have the promise, the promise of delayed gratification bigger than anything I could ever imagine on this earth. Amen. So where is your heart this morning? Are you truly setting your sights on things above? Are you truly? Do you want to? And now, now it comes your choice, guys. It becomes your choice now. What do you want to do with this? What do you want to do with this information? Do you want to allow it to sink in and become a, make you a better person? A more godly person? 
a person that is determined without any question, without any compromise, that you're not going back? That's your choice. That's your choice. Would you close your eyes with me this morning? Let's just pray for a minute. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would um, bring a challenge to our life right now. God, when anything good happens, there needs to become a point of decision, a crisis point. God, I thank you for saving us. I thank you, Lord, for putting us on the right path. And Lord, now I pray that you keep us on that path. And I pray, Lord, that our heart and our minds and our eyes would be focused on Jesus and him alone, that we wouldn't be distracted by the things of this world. Not to say these things are bad and not to say that we have to flee these things, but God, we have to properly put them in perspective that they are second place and you are number one. You are the center point of our life and everything, everything must flow through that filter of your center point. Are you still on the center point? Are you still there? Because if it's ever me, then God, change me. Bring it to my attention so that I can deal with it. I thank you for your mercies and your grace. I thank you, Lord, for the way that you challenge me. I thank you for the way that you love me. I thank you for the way you tell me the truth and that I don't chase after false teachings or things that would be the easier way. I, want, I don't want a shortcut. I don't want a shortcut. I want the real deal. And I thank you, God, for this church. I thank you for these people. And I pray that you would encourage us as we go to our homes now, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.